Hello, and welcome to The Interview, a new podcast by Mediaite. I'm Aidan McLaughlin, the editor-in-chief of Mediaite, and each week I'm going to be interviewing a top figure in media and politics. This week I spoke to Don Lemon. You may know him from the 10 and 11 p.m. hours of CNN. For the last two weeks, he's been hosting CNN's coverage of the Democratic and Republican conventions well into the night. I called him up to discuss the presidential election, media coverage of the Trump administration, the coronavirus pandemic, and the protests against racial injustice that have been sweeping the country. Hey, Don, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Aiden. It's good to be on with you. But you're my first time doing an interview with you by with voice. Usually it's just, you know, you typing away. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually I'm looking forward to it because you, you they say you have a voice for broadcasting. I've heard that. So I think this will this will make for a good interview. Um, I wanted to start off with something a little easy and topical. Uh, we're halfway through the Republican National Convention and the Republican Party is making the case for President Trump's reelection. You've been hosting a lot of CNN's coverage of the week long event. And I wanted to know what your takeaways have been so far. Well, I was a little surprised by uh, the tone of it, considering during the Democratic convention, they said that they were going to have a positive tone and that the Democrats were so negative and, and they, that they portrayed this scary image of America, that, of America and peril and, you know, that it was dark. This has really been, I think, the darkest convention uh, sort of uh, that I've seen in recent history, this dystopic sort of view of what America is. and. Um, I, I, I had hoped to be pleasantly surprised by hearing from people, in their words, normal, everyday Americans. But I've heard so much misinformation from this, um, from this convention that it's really disheartening. Right. And CNN has, has done a decent amount of fact checking of this convention. Um, just, you know, I, I remember on, uh, on Monday, John King cutting into Trump's speech to just say, you know, we, we're stopping this because it's just been a fount of misinformation. Um, I wonder if you think, you know, I, I'm trying to think of what the, the Republican Party or at least the Trump White House is thinking, where the strategy is, you know, he's an incumbent president. If the message is everything's a disaster and doom and gloom, I'm not sure how that's a successful message for re-election. Well, I don't know if it's a, if it's everything. It's just a dark. They're painting a dark picture um, of the country, and they're paint, painting a picture of the president that's not necessarily so. Basically, what they're saying to us is, don't believe um, anything that you have seen or heard of this president. Don't look at his tweets. Don't listen to his comments. Um, don't look at his actions, his policies. He's really a great guy and he's doing a great job and he's taking care of the coronavirus and there's nothing to see here move along, especially when it comes to COVID-19. And I mean, just objectively so, there is no truth to that. The president says things all the time that are just beyond the pale. He tweets things that are, um, that are beyond the pale. He, you know, from conspiracy theorist groups like QAnon or from um, uh, whether it's retweeting a, a, a racist or a neo-Nazi or, or something of that sort, or it's insulting people. He does all of those things so that to, to have the Republicans and even his wife portray him as some decent guy who always tells the truth and is looking out for America and has done a great job with COVID when you have 180,000 people who have died and he basically ignored it and tried to downplay it. I think it's it's really insulting to not just his base, but all of America. So I don't, and, I don't you know, really I mean, know how you I don't I don't really know how you 
how you sell that without, I mean, you know, the reality of it, I guess you have to create a, a false narrative about it in order to sell it. Yeah, I think, well, certainly on the on the coronavirus pandemic, I mean, I was watching Larry Kudlow refer to the pandemic, he's the White House economic advisor, in the past tense last night. As if um, it's over, yeah. Which is a, which is a, a, a sort of insane way to treat a, a pandemic that's still killing more than 1,000 people a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. It, well, it's killing more than 1,000 people a day, and it's not just taking lives of, of Democrats or people who support Joe Biden. It's affecting many of the president's supporters as well. And, and a number of the hotspots are in red states and people who are going to vote for him. And you, it has to be that people who support this president have been, have been affected by it when you look at the numbers. And I'm sure people who support the president or supported the president or voted for him in 2016 have had loved ones either become ill or who have died from COVID-19. And so I don't understand how you can justify what you're saying about um, the virus and saying that it's over and that you've done a great job because it's just not true. It's, it's just, it's a, it's a big fat lie. There's something to be said. I was, I had a conversation with someone uh, this week actually about how the press treats the president. And they were making the argument that president Trump gets you know fact checked far more than previous presidents. Um, you know, he's constantly uh, sort of criticized by the press uh, press coverage is overwhelmingly negative when it comes to President Trump. And I think to a certain extent that's true, but there's also a reason for it. And it's because, you know, it, it's indisputable that the president lies more than previous presidents. Um, there's just no comparison when you count up the, you know, you can look at the Washington Post fact checker and see that it's over 20,000. The Washington Post would not be able to find 20,000 lies for any previous president. And I feel like you're uh, a host that subscribes to the idea that it's not normal to treat President Donald Trump like he's any other president, that he's categorically different from previous presidents, at least in recent memory. Um, I'm thinking to recently you called Trump a bigot and a racist. And do you think that journalists should be more forthright in how they describe Trump's behavior? Or is that sort of, critics would say that's exposing their bias. No, how, how is being factual bias? How is taking someone, how is taking evidence and someone's own words and their own actions and their own policies and just presenting it back to the public uh, on television or, or whatever medium, whatever, you know, you, whatever journalistic medium you happen to, to be uh, in, how is that bias by calling out the fact that the president um, calls certain countries shithole countries? the way he treats, um, he speaks to African-Americans, his, what happened with him and, and, the, and the Central Park Five, um, what happened with him and his father being sued for discrimination. The, how is that biased? That's just the truth. Now, if the truth isn't on your side, then you can, then what this administration will do is say that you're biased and say that everything is negative because they don't have the truth on their side. And you're absolutely right. There's a reason that this president, that's a, that's a, it's an easy talking point, point for them to say, well, this president gets, you know, um, negative, more negative press than any other president. Well, what is the reason behind that? Why is that? Give us the evidence behind it instead of just reeling off that one part um, of a fact and not giving um, the nuance behind it and not giving the statements and the actions and the policies behind it. Because there's a reason, because you start 
you started your political career by lying about the former president and trafficking and birtherism, which is racism. Because you started your political career and you got into the race by saying that Mexicans were rapists. And, and, by, and by saying horrible things about war heroes like John McCain. So how, how can anybody paint that as a positive? Are, you, are, are media organizations supposed to go out and say, oh, well, the president said today that um, John McCain was, wasn't a hero, a war hero, because he was captured. Wow, that's great. Isn't he great for saying that? That's, that's ludicrous. No one would ever say that. And no one would ever expect to have anything positive to say about um, disparaging an American war hero. What, what is positive about um, making fun of a disabled New York Times reporter? There's nothing positive about that. What is positive about saying that there are very fine people on both sides when you're talking about neo-Nazis and racists? There's nothing positive about that. So th it's no wonder that this president's coverage is befitting his actions, his words, and his policies. So his policies, his actions, his words, his deeds are negative, and his press coverage is befitting of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think if you, if you ever kind of press someone who's making the case that the president gets, you know, too much negative coverage, I, I think the question is, well, do you think that, that every president's coverage should be 50% negative and 50% positive? And I think the only way that outlets that really cover the president the overwhelmingly negative skirt around that is that they ignore the president when he does something like criticizes John McCain or, uh, you know, makes sort of racist comments telling congresswomen to go back to their countries. They will ignore that and either focus on a sort of you know, liberal overreaction or focus on the other side or make false equivalencies. And I think it's telling that that you know, a lot of the times those things that the media overwhelmingly criticizes Trump for, you know, his defend, defenders in the media will not actually address. Because they, they can't, because they're complicit in it and they don't want to, they want to ignore it. And they'd rather throw a shiny object out and, and say, you know, that, well, it's, it's just negative, but they can't, there's no defense for it. And the only defense for it is to make excuses or to ignore it. That's the only two you have. So you either make excuses for it and you call other people bias or you ignore it and pretend that it doesn't happen. Again, mm -hmm. there's nothing positive about saying you want to, you know, grab him by the pee or any of those things. What is positive about that? Is that supposed to be happy? That's not happy mm -hmm. talk. That's not a positive thing to cover. And there's nothing, ha there's nothing positive about saying go back to where you came from to American citizens and to, um, you know, a, a elected um, uh, congresswomen or, and, and, and people who um, make laws. There's nothing, there's nothing positive about that. That's all negative. How are we supposed to report that? With a smile? Would that make it positive? <laughs> now, a, a criticism on this same, on this topic, a, a criticism I often hear of CNN uh, is that it's become an anti-Trump network. Now, I think a lot, to a certain extent, a lot of media has fallen into this trap of being sucked into covering everything Trump all the time. So much of what mm -hmm. he does is newsworthy and controversial, and you can't just ignore that. Um, but he's the president. Extent, he is the president and yeah. makes monumental more news than other presidents. But to a certain extent, I do think t sometimes CNN's coverage can feel singularly focused on Trump the man. It's often, I'd say sometimes at the expense of maybe an international story that might be more consequential. 
do you have a response to that to that criticism? Oh, no, listen, you'd have to give me specific examples. I don't have a response. And I'm sure, listen, I'm not here to, um, you know, defend all of the media. I can speak mm-hmm. to what I do on CNN and, 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 and to certain things that CNN does, but um, I'm not here to defend any of that. I, I can tell you about what I do and what I think about uh, how our network handles it. Mm-hmm. This president, this man is the president of, of the United States. And I think it's very easy to, to say that CNN is negative or is anti-Trump because the truth is not on Trump's side. So he attacks us. And we are there to tell, we are here to tell people the truth, to inform the electorate, to have an informed electorate, informed electorate and to inform the American public and international, to inform the world because we're an international news organization. So I, I, I don't, I guess I don't really understand how people will say CNN is um, biased and is, you know, f- focuses on the negative of Trump. I think the, the only defense, I mean, I think the, the Trump administration's only defense is to say that we're biased and we're not because the truth is not on their side. And so that makes us look biased because we're pointing out the truth and they're, we're trafficking in truth and they're trafficking in lies. And I think it, it can very often be an obvious play to, you know, a, a political play to cast an, a critical network as, or at least a, a network that, you know, seeks out facts as oppositional or partisan. Uh, I, I do wonder what you think when, you know, you see your face pop up on another network. I'm thinking of Fox News uh, on their primetime shows when your face comes up on the montages that they often do, sort of criticizing media criticism of Trump. What do you think when you see that? I don't, I just, I look at it and go, wow, I was, I looked chunky that day, or I was skinny that day, or <laughs> my hair looks good that day, or I needed a haircut, or wow, they put a lot of powder on me that night. I, it really doesn't affect me. I expect it. Okay. Um, you know, I try not to traffic in the, uh, um, you know, criticize the other network thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really like to do that, but there are times when you have to, because um, this, the, the, I like to call it state run or state TV. Um, they become an arm of the Trump administration. So sometimes it's impossible not to criticize them, but I, it doesn't really bother me. I expect it. And I just, I laugh at it because usually they take clips out of context and out of order and from years ago and in order to, um, to fit their narrative. And I just, kind of laugh at it. it, it mm-hmm. Usually it doesn't really make sense. Do you watch the, the other cable news networks? Or are you pretty tuned into CNN? I, no, I do. I have, a, I have it up in my office. Um, you know, I have a, a row of monitors where I'll, I'll have MSNBC, Fox, CNN, CNN International, sometimes Bloomberg, or um, CNBC, depending on the time of the day. Um, and so I'm usually watching. I used to watch Actually, I used to watch Fox a lot more before the Trump era. Um, but during Trump, they just, they've become such apologists. And um, I think what they're doing is really, really dangerous because at least at certain times of the day, there was, you could expect to get truth and, and objectivity on Fox. Um, you can get it sometimes during the day now and in other day parts rather than, than their opinion programming at night but it is becoming harder and harder to find. And so I don't, I I can't watch it anymore because it's just, it's embarrassing 
for them and for the people who, who work there, and there are some really good people who work there and some of whom I know, but it just, I can't really watch it anymore. If, if there's maybe if there's something that I want to see how they cover or every once in a while, but I used to watch Fox religiously because I thought they had some really great journalists and great programming, but I can't watch anymore. It's, it's, it's just infuriating and, and I'm embarrassed for them. Do you think Fox News changes when Trump leaves the White House, whether that's this November or this January or in uh, four years? Of course, uh, yes, they change. And, I don't, you know, if, if Trump starts his own conservative network when, well, they better look out because they're going to have to deal with that. I don't know how much they'll be affected by it, but it will have some effect on, on them mm. if, if he does that. But, um, yeah, it's certainly it, they'll have to pivot and figure out how they either deal with the competition of a Trump news network or if they'll be able to appeal to uh, Republicans who um, have become fed up by them just carrying the water, water for this administration. So um, I'm sure it's going to affect them somehow, but I, I'm not. It's going to be interesting to watch. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Because now, not, uh, not everybody out there is, is living in an alternative reality. Mm hmm. Yeah. And do you, do you see that from their primetime hosts, I, I suspect, are the, are the ones who you think of when you make that? I think of all of them. I mean, I mean the, the, the hosts that I really um, um, have hope for and I can watch now, quite honestly, is, the, the, is Neil Cavuto. Mm -hmm. I love watching Neil. I think he has a great style. I think he's really good. I think he's on it. And of course, you know, Chris Wallace, he's really, he doesn't, he's not really in Fox. You know, he's more of a, he doesn't, I, I don't really see him as a Fox News entity. I just see him as a journalist who happens to work for Fox. Um, uh, Chris Wallace. And then uh, I can watch Brett, um, usually when he does a straight newscast, but when he's surrounded by the talking heads and the opinion folks, um, I, I have to turn the channel. But those, that's, that's really about it. From, from the morning show until Neil Cavuto comes on, there's nothing there to really see. And then once Neil is gone, there's nothing there to see until Neil comes back on the next day. I, I suspect and, and, you that, know, that and Brett and Brett that, and Brett, a, that opinion is that. is the, the the majority of loyal diehard Fox News viewers would have the opposite opinion uh, of there. But uh, I mean, it makes sense. Those are the <laughs> those are the uh, the journalists that probably get the most criticism from Trump himself. Um, but I wanted to to switch gears here. But why is that? Why would they, why wonder. would they get the most criticism from Trump himself? Because they are telling the truth. Because they're at least trying to be uh, objective, and that's why he, that's why you know he criticizes them the most. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're living in reality. Now, just to uh, to switch gears a little bit, I've been listening to your podcast. Uh, Silence is not an option. It launched uh, in June. Uh, at a pretty revolutionary time, I think, in our politics and culture. The conversations are geared towards how to oppose racism. Uh, and I think, you know, what I find fascinating about the podcast and about the sort of current conversation around these topics is that public opinion has shifted significantly on these issues from as recently as the protests after the killing of, of Michael Brown in 2014. Uh, I'm, you know, the amount of Americans that believe police are more likely to use excessive force against black people has gone up. Uh, the, you know, support for Black Lives Matter has gone up as well. Uh, and I was reading a piece in The New Yorker by Ibram X. Kendi, who was on your podcast, uh, the first episode, I think. Yeah. And yeah. he argued that 
the racist nature of the Trump presidency inadvertently paved the way for a revolution against racism. And I wondered if you agree that the sort of policies and rhetoric of the current administration have, if accidentally, forced a lot of Americans to realize the extent of racial inequity uh, and police brutality in the country. Yeah. Listen, I'll let Ibram is a smart man. I'll let him speak for himself. But here, I'll tell you what I think. Um, I think that um, there are enough um, Americans out there who um, bristle when you hear very fine people on both sides. And I think that this president has made excuses, has condoned, um, has even given a platform to bigots and racists um, in a way that is, to say the least, uncomfortable for most of America. And so inadvertently has this administration forced people into a corner where they have to pay more attention uh, to the issues of race? Absolutely. Um, Especially since we were in the middle of a pandemic when George Floyd happened. And had we done everything we were supposed to do at the time we were supposed to do it early on in 2020, uh, when COVID first happened, perhaps we would not all be sitting at home on our couches Uh, watching television or with our laptops or our uh, phones, watching someone die on television from Ahmaud Arbery to George Floyd. It was in our faces. You could not avoid it. And what did that do? That forced us to look at the reality of police brutality and how African-Americans are often treated differently by authority figures and in, in society. So I think that had a lot to do with this administration, the policies on COVID we're all sitting at home. That would, that, this administration was the cause of that. Because if we had been at home earlier on, by the time the summer came around with George Floyd, we may not have been sitting at home in quarantine, forced to watch this horrific, these horrific incidents uh, on our television. But I think that from the policies, um, when it comes to separating children at the border, um, the rhetoric and the language around immigrants and illegal immigration in this country, the rhetoric and the language around African-Americans uh, in this country, um, uh, a travel ban, so on and so forth. Yes, this administration, very fine people on both sides, cozying up to, um, to racists and neo-Nazis. Yes, this administration is, um, they have their own selves to blame when it comes to the racial issues we're dealing with in the country right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to, to talk about your reporting, you've, you've spoken in interviews about how your perspective informs it. And I'm wondering if you felt a change in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd and, and then the protest that follows in how you personally cover and talk about race and police brutality in the United States, or was it sort of a longer evolution? Well, I think it was, I think it was a longer evolution, but uh, I think you get to a point where, you know, you, um, the issues are are not necessarily in the news as much. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And people become comfortable with the way society is. But I think since I, I, I thought or felt that I had always been pretty bold. And when it comes to talking about issues of race, Um, but George Floyd changed me when I saw that Ahmaud Arbery and then George Floyd, the two back to back. Um, and, and how some people chose to uh, ignore what was happening. And many others, far more people chose to dig in and figure out how we make things better. Um, that was heartening to me. 
but watching that, watching those two men die on camera really changed me. And uh, my thought process and the way I conducted, conducted myself and, and will continue to conduct myself now is if you're not going to get involved, if you're not going to speak out, if you're not going to be, as Ibram Kendi say, says, if you're not going to be anti-racist, then when are you going to do it? What are, you, what, what are you looking for? And unless we deal with this now, we're going to be, we're going to be dealing with this, um, the same situation that's playing out on the television from Kenosha to Minneapolis to uh, Brunswick, Georgia with, um, with Ahmaud Arbery. That's, this is going to happen over and over and over with Mike Brown, with Trayvon Martin, all of these things. It's going to continue to happen until we get together and deal with it. So it changed me. And so now I am much more vocal about, about speaking out. Um, I don't worry about offending people anymore. We're past the point of offense. If you don't like it, well, too bad. We, then let's just deal with it. Now, that doesn't mean that I write people off necessarily, but I don't feel that it's my job to coddle bigots and racists or, for people who, or, or to coddle people who are um, unconsciously biased. That it's your job to catch up. I can help, but I'm not going to coddle you. And so, um, like, so again, I, I've changed. This has changed me. And so, in in my personal life, I speak out now. I no longer hold my peace. There are there are times when I just wouldn't say anything. I would let things pass. Now I don't do that. Even at work, if I think someone is not being treated fairly uh, in in my place of business, I will speak out. Even if I think our coverage is off, I will speak out more vocally than I had before. And I think that I have an obligation to do that as a journalist and the only anchor of color in prime time on CNN and in the cable landscape. Do you feel as, I mean, you're the pretty much the, you're the most uh, prominent black uh, host on cable news. Do you feel in your personal life and professional life and in your coverage, a sort of burden uh, at least this year in, in holding that position? Yeah, of course I do. Because who else is going to do it? There's no one else who looks like me. I'm a black man in America. I have a, um, a platform on international television every night. I, I have to be responsible. And I also have to sleep at night. I also have to look myself in the mirror. And I can't look myself in the mirror by selling out or pretending that uh, what's happening on the streets or playing out in the streets of America and the boardrooms and in the workplaces and in all businesses and facets of life in America, that it's, that it's not happening. I can't do that. I have to speak tr truth to power and I have to um, tell my experience. I have to share my experience with America and with the world. That's why I'm, I'm placed there. People on other networks and of other ethnicities have no qualms about sharing their experiences. Certainly if you watch Fox, they will tell you and they will flaunt their experiences as, um, white Americans, as white men, and they're privileged, and they're very proud of it. Why shouldn't I do the same thing? Why shouldn't I have be allowed to do the same thing, the same freedom as any other American and any other person who is on cable news, uh, regardless of their, irregardless, I should say, of their gender and their ethnicity? Mm -hmm. I should have that same freedom. I get a lot of criticism for it because, again, we live in a very racist country, and what I say um, you know, may come off as different and there are different standards for me, but guess what? I don't really care at all anymore. 
Yeah. And now on your on your show last night, uh, you spoke out against some of the violence and riots happening in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Now, obviously, that violence doesn't happen in a vacuum. Uh, it, it came after the pretty horrific shooting of Jacob Blake by police. Uh, but I also watched your interview with Jacob Blake's mother, Julia Jackson, and she condemned the violence. Do you think that there's a bit of a disconnect between sort of activists that are taken to the streets and, you know, putting bricks through windows and burning uh, sort of blocks down and between the people that live in these communities. That's sort of the sense that I got from your comments to, to Chris Cuomo last night uh, and from your interview with Julia Jackson. Yeah, there is a, you mean people who live there and, and yes, there is a disconnect. Of course there's a disconnect. The people who live there don't want their, their homes and their, pro- their property and their businesses burned down. The things that they've worked for all their lives, they don't want it destroyed. And usually it's the people who come in from outside who are doing the destroying. So they don't want that. As I said last night on, on CNN, most people in this country, most African-Americans want police officers. They probably want more police officers in their communities. They just don't want to be abused and brutalized by police officers. They want police reform. They want better training. They want police to deescalate situations, but they don't want to get rid of police. When you have an emergency at your house and you call 911, I want an officer to show up at my door, but I want the right officer to show up at at my door. I want an officer who's trained at de-escalating a situation or trained at whatever situation may be happening in my home or at my, at my house or wherever I call if it's on the street, but I don't want um, police departments defunded. I don't want money taken away from them. And most people don't. It's the fringes of the parties that that cause the issues. Joe Biden has said he doesn't want um, police defunded, but yet it's a talking point on the right in the Trump administration to to say that Joe Biden wants all of these things to happen. When he has said numerous times, he doesn't. Now listen, I'm not gonna speak for him. I think he can do a better job at portraying that. I think he needs to get out there in front of this. I think he needs to go big, bigger. If he's gonna, if if he truly wants to be president of the United States, He needs to get out there and tell people in a press conference the way that Barack Obama did on race, how he feels about police reform, violence, protesting, rioting, crime in this country. Because otherwise, I don't think it's going to be good for him. And I think that he has the perfect person standing next to him to be able to do that. And that is a former prosecutor, Kamala Harris. And if they can't do it together, then I don't know who else can. So, yes, there is a disconnect. And there's also a disconnect between the protesters and the rioters. They're not one and the same. One group is taking advantage and exploiting what is happening on the street to their advantage to rob, steal, possibly kill, and to destroy property. Another group, the other group is fighting for justice, fighting for equality, and they are peaceful. There is a distinction, but it's hard to tell that distinction um, when, you know, sometimes on the news, it's hard to figure out what, which one is a protester and which one uh, is a rioter or a looter, because I think they're all kind of lumped together in, in media coverage sometimes. And I think we can do a better job of that. Uh, I think unintentionally organizations like CNN and MSNBC sometimes put the rioters and the looters together in the video and television, and we can do a much better job of distinguishing it. I think other organizations like Fox News, for the most part, they do it intentionally because they're carrying the water for the president. The president wants it to be so. 
that the protesters are looked upon as looters and rioters and people who are bringing mayhem to the community. But I think that it's incumbent upon the media too to also help make that distinction, to point that out to the American public. Yeah. And now one last question, if I could, I, I wanted to get one in about uh, the coronavirus pandemic. You have the privilege of speaking to Sanjay Gupta uh, regularly. Do you have any sense? I hate that guy. He's smart, <laughs> handsome, and his hair, he's got more hair than me. So wow, that's, that's I, all I have to say about him. Luscious man. Uh, just <laughs> based on your conversations with him, aside from his dreaminess, do you have any sense of what Americans have in store for the next few months? And on a sort of more personal note, does it feel like the CNN newsroom is going to return to any semblance of normalcy anytime soon? Uh, I, listen, I can't really speak to that, but... Well, I shouldn't say I can't speak to that with any sort of um, authority because I'm not the one who decides that. But personally, I say no. But mm-hmm. for the you know for the past six months, I have been almost the only one on my team coming in. You know, over the last couple of weeks, I've had a producer and an executive producer come in to to help with the show. But usually, they're at home in my ear. I don't really see us coming back to work for a long time, and maybe possibly not until twenty. 21. That could all change. Who knows? There could be a vaccine or that could be, you know, some, some sort of therapeutic that helps us along the way with that testing, rapid testing or, or what have you. But I don't really think that we're going to be back to normal until well into 2021. And who knows what's going to happen, happen after that. And especially if this fall, if the case numbers, if the numbers start to go back up when people are in rooms in drier rooms where, you know, the, um, the droplets can can travel further than in humid, you know, a humid, damp environment. Who knows? If the cases start going up, people start getting sick, and people start dying, then it could be longer. So, I'm glad you said that because that brings us back to the beginning of our conversation. <laughs> if we had more buy-in from the American people, if the president of the United States had taken this seriously and told people the truth instead of characterizing this as um, one political party out to get him, it is a hoax, then perhaps we would, not, we would not be in the situation that we are in right now. You, you would probably not be asking me if the CNN work environment is going to change, if it's going to get back to normal, because we would probably be back to normal. And my evidence of that is look at all the other countries who have been affected by coronavirus pretty much all of them are back to normal now, back to work, back to business. The only country that is not is America. And who is the leader of America? Donald Trump. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mediaites, The Interview. Please subscribe to The Interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and tune in next week for another episode. In the meantime, look out for coverage of my conversation with Don Lemon on Mediaite.com.